good morning and welcome. It's a privilege to worship with you in the house of the Lord. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially to those of you online, we welcome you as well. It's such a privilege to be able to worship with you from home. As I read this today, I want you to remind yourself that God doesn't call us to be perfect, but that he calls us to be his. Okay, and as I get to this second portion of it, I want you to make this promise to yourself and to him again. I think this is such a great psalm that every once in a while, if we read it, we can remind ourselves who we are to be in him. How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. Notice not perfect, not perfect, but childlike faith. I was facing death and then he saved me. Now I can rest again. For the Lord has been so good to me. Make this promise. Listen. I will lift up a cup symbolizing his salvation. I will praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord's loved ones are precious to him. It grieves him when they die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant the son of your handmaid, and you have freed me from my bonds. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. O Lord, that we would keep these promises and offer our thanks daily in good times and in hard As pastor preaches on your power today, let us remember that power lives in us and is something we are called to share with others. God, most often that power comes through as love and kindness. Help us, God, to be as loving as you are. May all we speak and sing today be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with me as we profess our faith and recite our creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship. I invite you this morning to join the team as we praise him. Oh 
back to verse 2. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're looking for an answer. Maybe you are investigating other things. He is the answer. Only you provide. Only you. Only you provide. I see many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide because you, you know just what we need before.
are going to take a few moments and pray, and we are going to continue to worship. But we open the altars if you need prayer this morning. Or like David said, maybe you're searching and you want our prayer team to just come alongside you and pray for you. Um, Maybe it's a physical need, a need in your family. We invite you now to the altars for prayer.
dear God, we praise and we exalt your great name, for no other name is worthy of our praise. We come to you humbly this morning, and we ask that you meet with us, that you heal the brokenhearted and bind their wounds, as your word says. I pray for those that are here today and online that are broken, by your spirit, fill them with peace joy and bring healing to their wounded hearts lord for those that are tired and sad and empty i pray that you would show them your power and your love for nothing satisfies but you god for those that need freedom from addiction provision in their finances and healing in their families i pray for miracles i pray that you would break chains help us to forgive as you have forgiven us And give us a hunger to know you more and to be in your word and to pursue you. God, some of us are walking around, but they feel dead inside and are saying, what is our purpose? God, you are our purpose. In you, we have life. In you, we find freedom. In you, we have peace and love. God, I pray that you would forgive us for going after so many other things and going so many other places to find things that satisfy. Forgive us for wandering away and draw us back to you. I pray for a boldness in us as individuals and as a church that we would stand firmly and boldly for you and declare to all who will listen that you are our God. I pray protection for our missionaries, for those that are out in other countries, Lord, surround them with your favor and protection. And I pray your anointing here today as we continue our service. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment and find somebody across the room and say hello this morning. Well, good morning again. Over the last um, couple of weeks when Pastor Jason has been preparing this welcome slide, when he first prepared it, I was like, Ed, it's way too much time. Guess who was wrong? <laughs> Me. It's not way too much time. It's wonderful to see you all greeting each other, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online, and um, we are glad that you're joining us. So if you are joining us for the first times that you're here, um, we would love that you fill out a new hair card. Maybe someone handed you a pamphlet um, as you walked in, or you can grab a card that's in front of you. Um, any way that you would like to communicate with us, we would love that because we would love to get to know you 
Um, if you scan it and enter it digitally, the office will get your information. If you fill out something um, with a paper and a pen, like the olden days, um, you can put it in one of our boxes um, right by the doors on the way out or in one of the tables that are by our um, entrances. So we would love to hear from you no matter how that is. Or you can just come and say hi to Pastor Jason, too. He'd love that as well. Um, a couple things coming up this week. Pastor Jason just started a new study um, on First Peter. Um, he and Pastor Jerry will be leading the study on alternate weeks, so that will be a fun time to come. Um, if you haven't been to a Bible study before, we, they have just started. So um, plan to be here Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in the cafe, um, and you'll be warmly welcomed there. Also, this Friday night, um, Women's Group is meeting. Our Sister Strong group is going through a Max Lucado study, which is a video study. So we watch a video um, as he is in Jerusalem, and then we have discussion together. So you are very welcome to be part of that as well, ladies. Um, and we would love to see you at 7 p.m. in the cafe as well on Friday night. Um, and as we thank you for your giving and your support of this place and the things that we do for the next couple of weeks, um, last week we had a missions video. We're going to be talking about missions focus a little bit, thinking outside of um, this room and this place. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, we have a this um, our board has been up there for a while, but we have all new pictures of our missionaries, um, the monthly amount that we support them, where they are in the world, um, and quarterly, every once in a while, we get newsletters from our missionaries letting us know what they're up to, what they're doing. Um, so I grabbed this one off the board. You are very welcome to take one off the board, read the front, read the back, see um, what our missionaries are doing, um, but this this is from the Hollands, and they just sent this to us in April of this year. So this is all um, new information. Roger and Sharon Holland are church planting missionaries um, based in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they work on church planting among Spanish-speaking communities. So they do that, and then they train other people as well to do that in places where they are. So I'm just going to highlight their one prayer request is that they just started a school of church planting via Zoom. So it's not just people right in their community, but people, they said three different countries as well as many states joined them, um, and they had 52 people in their Zoom class um, who they are helping to um, equip in planting their own churches to Spanish-speaking communities. So as you go through this week um, and you are thankful this, for this place that you come to, um, we ask, pray for the Hollands um, as they're in Georgia helping to spread God's word um, through communities that maybe haven't been reached um, Spanish-speaking, especially, um, Pastor Jerry, I had asked him, he said, especially immigrant communities, people who have, who have just come into the United States, who maybe don't have a church home or any, or many connections to people. So as you're thankful for this place, which I know we are, um, think of people who are starting new churches and places in this country and all around the world. So we thank you for that. We thank you for being part of this mission here um, as well as around the world. And on that note, let's stand together as we continue our time of worship.
me this morning? God, I thank you that you are great. You're great in size. You're great in goodness. You're great in every way imaginable. And we join with the angels this morning. We worship you. God, your word tells us that if we didn't, that the earth itself would cry out and worship to you. And so, God, we join with all of creation today, honoring you, praising you, declaring your worthiness and your greatness, your holiness and your goodness. And as we talk about your power over nature, we talk about miracles this morning. I'm so grateful that the greatest miracle of all is that you love us unconditionally. Thank you for your love. Lord, we worship you and honor you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, you are released to Children's Church while the rest of us check out this video. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. And it is an honor that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your your Sunday morning, your weekend with us today. I want to welcome all of you joining us online. Um, Really appreciate you being with us and invite you to uh, chat and join the community. Um, Church is better when you're here. And to all of you here this morning, church is better when you're here. Um, Church is not a building. Church is a group of people in community. And so thank you so much for being part of this community. It's great to be part of it with you. Last week, we began a, a new, this series or a new series by discussing what I, what I said is I believe to be the ultimate example of Jesus's power over nature by discussing Jesus's second coming. And yes, um, that's really the focus of this series is Jesus's power over nature. And as we talked about Jesus's return, we talked about what the Bible says about it. And uh, we referenced a little bit of what tradition and what people think about it. But more importantly, we were focused on what scripture teaches us. But uh when you think about the second coming that, or and you think about Christ's resurrection, that can be shocking. Um, and for 
if you spent any time reading the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you'll recognize that Jesus often astonished people. To be one of the disciples was to be continually shocked by Jesus' feats. When you think about the, the feats that you've heard Jesus uh Jesus performed. What is the most shocking thing uh, that you think the disciples experienced or watched? What do you think about? It? What are in the chat? Start chatting, uh, sharing ideas of what you think was the most uh, astonishing thing Jesus did. And then in the room this morning, what's the most astonishing miracle that Jesus did in your uh, in your opinion? Okay, he raised Lazarus from the dead. What else? A walk on water, that's another one. What else? What's that? Uh, I can't hear you. Oh, fish and loaves, feeding the 5,000. Sure. Jesus. He, oh, he, he rose again. Yeah. Jesus continually uh, shocked the disciples. When you read, we've been accustomed to reading the Bible through Bible guys. And so we take certain things for granted that Jesus did. But if you were in the day when Jesus did these things, they were shocking to you. And if you were one of the disciples, imagine their conversations they must have had. I'm guessing that they, the followers of Jesus got to a point where they were convinced there was nothing he could do that would surprise them. And then he'd do something to top things he had already done. Uh, he, he, and to that end, we, t- we talked about last week. They watched him die, be buried, and then come back to life. And if that weren't enough, they literally watched him ascend, like float, like David Blaine magician stuff, to the heavens. Jesus' ability to be above nature was something that astonished the disciples, but it's not something that he ever seemed surprised by. And it's not something that began at the end of his earthly life. Jesus didn't die and then come back to uh, raise from the dead and then become empowered to do things more, uh, to have control or power over nature. It was not something that happened at the end of his life. It wasn't something that even happened in the beginning of his life. Uh, Jesus' power over nature has often, uh, not often, has always been. It's always, it never be, it doesn't have a start, because it's always existed. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus there. When you hear, when you see the Word on this slide, understand it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus' power over nature is eternal. It's always existed. We as humans cannot fully understand something not having a beginning. Everything we know is about things that start and most things end. We don't, we can't grasp uh, uh, something that's always existed. It's just too 
big for our minds to comprehend. But Jesus' power, Jesus' existence and his power over nature has always been. It never came into existence. It never started. There was never a time when Jesus didn't have it. And so as he lives with his disciples and he's regularly displaying it, it never surprised him. But it was certainly shocking to those around him. For a second, for a second this morning, think, allow yourself to think of a time when you were amazed, when you were uh, uh, astonished. Have you ever had an experience that was so surprising that it changed the way you look at the world? Now, some of us have experienced a loss that changed the way we look at, a, at the world. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about have you ever seen something that was so incredible that suddenly things that seemed not possible were possible. I think we've seen and heard glimpses of these things in our world in certain categories. As a sports fan, I can think of several times when the impossible became possible. Uh, If you're a sports fan, the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. Uh, defeats the Russians. Their gold medal um, run was so improbable, so impossible, if you will, that multiple movies have been made about it. The 2004 Red Sox beat the vaunted and hated Yankees by coming back from three games to none and somehow winning the series. Every time you read some, any sport in the playoffs, they say, no team has ever come back from a 3 nothing deficit except for the 2004 Red Sox. But as I was, as I was thinking about these, these ideas this week, one stuck out to me. It's the, and it's a kind of obscure one and some of you are like, I don't understand sport, I don't like sports, so why are you talking about it? But this is just, just, Bear with me for a minute. In 1988, the Los Angeles Dodgers were a no-nothing team. They were terrible, or they were supposed to be, and they won the World Series. They were they one of the, the one of the great teams, as David just pointed out, that they beat were on their way to the winning the World Series. They beat the Mets. The Mets were supposed to win the World Series, or they were going to lose to the other great team, which was the A's. In that time, the Mets and the A's were the best team, and this know-nothing ragamuffin team beats them and wins the World Series. They were picked to finish fourth, I think, and they win the World Series. I, I think I've communicated that. And in game, the most famous part of that is in Game One. They had a guy who was their best player who was hurt. He had both of his legs he couldn't walk. And it's such an iconic moment that still today, all these years later, when sports programming will still show this event. This guy who has no legs hits a home run to win the game in game one, Kirk Gibson. And he can barely walk as he's walk, as he's rounding the bases. And the, the Dodgers announcer doesn't say a word the whole time. And you're just soaking in this environment. And this guy who really needs crutches to get around the bases is hobbling and he scores. And then... Um, Vince Scully, the Dodgers announcer, says that in a, in a year that's been so improbable, the impossible has happened. There are times in our lives where we witness what we think is impossible. But it's not just sports. We've seen this in the world of medicine. In medicine, there, there have been tons of innovations and inventions that have changed the way people are treated. When you go back and listen to some of the ways people, medications that people are given in like the 16 and 1700s that are like, like, 
So there's one medicine journal that talks about how, how, how awesome the positive effects of heroin are in the 1700s. There's tons of things that we now know are crazy. But the one that stuck out to me as I was, as I was researching this, in, 19, in 1895, the x-ray was accidentally invented. Up until the x-ray is invented, doctors have to, progno- uh, have to diagnose uh, people only by what they see externally. And so, or they got to cut you open. And then this invention happens and they can look inside your skin. And it was shocking. And it's gone on to, to, to it led the, the, the way to ultrasounds and CAT scans and MRIs. But now doctors really want to see what's inside of you rather than they're looking at the external symptoms. But in 1895, it, it changed, the x-ray changed the way medicine was practiced. But it's not just medicine. We see it, we even see it in our, in our history, in politics. If any, some of you have read, and I know because we've talked about it, Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, book on Lincoln uh, called Team of Rivals. And part of that book she, de- she designates to talking about the 1860 presidential election and the Republican nomination that preceded it. And Abraham Lincoln, we all, I'm, I'm going I'm to tease the book. He gets elected president. But he's fourth in the Republican race. And no one thinks he can be nominated. And by no one, I mean him included. Lincoln's goal, as he's running politically, is to finish second. In fact, all of the three people in front of him, he thinks, I just want to finish second to each of them. And then, miraculously, maybe something will happen to each of them. And I'll get all of the second place votes, and there won't be any first place votes, and I'll win. He he never believed he could win. It was impossible. It was so impossible to to one of his uh, competitors, Seward, that Seward, in in preparation for the the campaigning, goes and of the 12 months before the nomination, spends nine of them in Europe before Twitter. He's so convinced he's got it locked up that the only thing he thinks that could cost him is making a mistake, so he leaves the country so no one will know a mistake he makes. It's, it's impossible that Lincoln could be elected. But yet sometimes in our world we see the impossible become possible. Those are little glimpses of when we see how unthinkable things can happen and change the world, uh, the, the way the world is seen. This morning I want to discuss Jesus' power over nature, but I want to position ourselves in the eyes of the disciples. Because these men traveled with Jesus for a couple of years. And he astounds them all the time. But it changes the way they, their experience with Jesus is so life-changing. He leaves them in Acts chapter 1. They watch him go uh, ascend into heaven. By Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of the disciples, two of the people that we're positioning ourselves as, are on their way to their daily devotional time at the temple. And they come across a beggar who's looking for money. And they say to him, I don't got any money, but what I have 
is Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, get up and start walking. And the guy gets healed in front of them. They administer a healing just two chapters after they've watched Jesus. These were fishermen. But something so drastic, they had seen so many things that were impossible, that suddenly the impossible became possible for them to even think they could participate in. And so as we we talk about this, as, as we talk, as we look at the the miracle we're going to talk about this morning, understand the position ourselves that they, we could grasp the huge shift in mindset that the disciples had gone through. You see, the, the the biblical story accounts of Jesus are meant to inform us, but they're not meant to inform us so that we have more information. We're not just to know about Jesus. These stories are shared with us so that we could be inspired to see and to believe what's possible when Jesus comes into our lives. Jesus didn't just do miracles then so we could talk about them. And so there's this passage in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, at the end of Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to read. But prior to that, remember we talked about it during the parable series, that often it's good to look at what's going on around the passage you're looking at to get context. Well, the first three quarters of Mark chapter 4 are three different parables Jesus is talking about. And they're all talking about what happens when you have faith and the power of faith in your life. And, and so reading uh, in uh, Mark 4, we'll start at verse 35. It says, that day that Jesus talked about all that stuff, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Some of you were just in Israel. You understand that the, the, when he talks about the other side, he's talking about the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it from shore to shore. Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with them. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. I'm not a boat guy. That's one. Let's see the front or the back. Yes, and it's the back. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teachers, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Which... It's a story for a whole nother day. Like, that's their concern. They're not concerned that he might drown. They're just concerned that he's concerned that they might drown. He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked one another, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? In that moment, for the disciples, and for us today, Jesus' power over nature is shocking. And it's never really stopped being that. He consistently raises the bar for what they thought was possible. We've named some of them. We've named from walking on water to raising Lazarus from the dead to directing exhausted fishermen to an unimaginably large catch of fish 
to feeding thousands of people with just a few fish and some bread. Can you imagine the conversations those guys must have had after he regularly shocked them? What do you think he's going to do next? And yet Jesus isn't doing these things to show off. He's not doing them to accumulate power. They display his power, but he's not looking for power. Jesus' power over nature is an evidence of his authority. It comes naturally to him. He created this thing, and so he can speak things over it. Jesus understood the power that miracles had. In John 11, in John 14, verse 11, he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's defending who he is to his disciples in this very intimate conversation in John 14. But then he says, Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. If you want evidence that God, that the Father is in this, He's talking to Jewish people. If you want evidence that the God I am who I am is in this, trust me. But if that's too hard, see the evidence that comes through of the Father in the works that we do. Jesus understood that his power over nature was evidence for his authority. He says, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. It was one of the things that astonished the disciples. Remember, go back. He he says, do you still have no faith? And they're like, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus' power, and he understood this, sparked curiosity about who he really was. Jesus' power sparked curiosity about who he really was, but he didn't do it to accumulate power. In a world where power was everything, Jesus went to the least of these. The last thing, the last point this morning before we get to some takeaways is that Jesus' power has been given to us. We read these stories, and they're astonishing. But you know what else is astonishing? We don't believe we could do them. They're stories. And yet Jesus said, all authority. In Matthew uh, 28, when Jesus, it says, starting in verse 18, when Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Tells them, I have all the authority in the world. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to Jesus, and he says, go, I'm going with you. You speak for me now. And so Jesus expects the disciples to go and to do the miraculous. He's not surprised. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is engulfed in in a crowd. 
He's, he's in the middle of a crowd and he realizes that power. And the word for power, the Greek word for power there is uh, dunamis. He realizes this power has gone out of him and he asks, who touched my clothes? And the disciples look at him like he's crazy. You're in the middle of a mob. Everybody's touched your clothes. And he's like, no, 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 no. Power has gone out of me. Dunamis has gone out of me. There were multiple words for power in Greek. And Jesus in that moment says, dunamis has gone out of me. The the disciples don't understand that someone had touched Jesus by faith. The woman's faith activated the dunamis within Jesus and caused it to flow from him to her and in the form of a miraculous healing. And so this woman who had had a blood issue her whole life doesn't have it anymore because the power has gone out from him. Okay, Jason, we get it. Why are you telling me about this? Because dunamis is, the word, the Greek word dunamis for power is not limited to healing power. There's multiple words for power, like I said, in the Greek language. And, and when Jesus heals that lady because she touches his garment, that's what happens, what gets released. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know what word he uses? It's the same one. It's dunamis. That power that was released from Jesus is released into us. And we become empowered and equipped to, the disciples become equipped to spread the gospel. And the same dunamis, the same power that raised Christ from the dead takes up residence inside of us when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And so we can walk in a world where we cannot be afraid to know that there is an incredible power within us. How can it be that this incredible power is alive and active within every born-again Christian? It's by its nature an unfathomable power that would be too massive to be, tr- to, to, to be contained. But God chose in his sovereignty to fill us, the Bible calls us jars of clay, with dunamis. To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we can say like Jesus, Jesus is in me. But if that's not enough, see the evidence that Jesus is in me from the works that happen outside of us. And suddenly the power that Jesus displayed is evident. And Jesus imagined when he left, he envisioned a world where we exercised that power, but not to accumulate power. I'm a little passionate this morning. So some takeaways. First, faith is evidenced when fear is possible. Jesus is in the, in the boat asleep and the disciples wake him up. And he says to them, are you afraid? Do you have any faith? The only time we can really display faith is when fear is possible. It's not hard. It might not even be called, you might not even be considered faith if it's not, there's not a risk involved. 
One of the more inspiring passages in the scripture for, for believers is the story when Peter walks on water. And in some ways, the way it's written, it's almost written like a campfire ghost story. Think, close your eyes and picture yourself uh, as a young kid around a campfire telling ghost stories. And think of the story that starts like this. And in the fourth watch of the night, they saw someone walking to them on the water. That's spooky. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, so just like you would around the campfire, they were afraid. It says they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out with fear. But Jesus immediately spoke to him and said, take heart. Don't be afraid. And Peter, see, we, we, we think it's, it's a great story. Peter gets out of the boat, and we think about Peter walking on the water and then noticing the waves and sinking. But the audacity in that moment of fear to jump out of the boat to believe you could walk on water. We like that story. None of us are jumping out of the boat. We watch commercials. They have great commercials now of like cars that are sitting on the water. And people walk out to them. And we're like, how does that happen? It's impossible. Because we know you can't do that. And yet somehow, when Jesus is involved, the thing you can't do becomes doable. Winston Churchill said, uh, we've all heard his phrase. He said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. I'm not really sure all of us know what what it really means to be legitimately afraid of something. He spoke those words as London's being bombed. If our area starts getting bombed, I got to tell you, I'm going to be afraid. Fear is our mind's reaction to a perceived threat. It comes in all shapes and sizes and affects all of us in different ways. It might come as cause stress or leave us in a panic and breathless. Um, it causes reactions, and it causes reactions so much so that it sells. Scary movies. By the way, those of you who like to watch scary movies, I don't get you. Good, God bless you. I don't understand it. I want movies that make me feel good, happy. The dog should never die in a movie. That's probably the thing I'll get the best reaction from. Just kidding. There are times when fear can paralyze us. And sometimes the uh, the paralyzing state of fear is it helps us. It it keeps us safe. But other times fear can put us in a worse situation. Some situations such as the one that Peter found himself in on the boat as it was tossed around in the waves are absolutely dangerous. And responding with fear is, is understandable. Sometimes the fear of what's happening becomes the idea of what's happening is so great in our heads that it's not the wind and the waves that make us afraid, but it's the thought of what could happen. I'm terrified of heights. I don't like heights. But the reality is I'm not afraid of heights. You know what I'm afraid of? Falling. But I describe it as afraid of heights. Sometimes the thing we're really afraid of isn't the thing we think we're afraid of. 
And sometimes in our minds, the thing that we're imagining becomes greater than the thing that we're actually dealing with. And so when we come to a place where we can have faith and trust in the God we have and understand that what is unseen and untouched is a conviction of several layers of belief. When we come to a point where we say, the thing I'm afraid of is smaller than the God I'm holding hope in, it loses its power of conviction over us. Notice back in Matthew 14, when, when, when Peter, when Jesus saves Peter, What he chastises them for is to not have enough faith to believe what was impossible was possible. Jesus didn't get frustrated with the disciples for being scared. What he got frustrated with them was that their fear overtook their faith. When we face situations and we start to believe that the thing in the world is more powerful than the God who's empowered us, that's where we start to walk into trouble. But when we understand that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, we overcome our fear because we can understand that there's nothing with God that's not possible. A couple of more takeaways in our last few minutes. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We talked about that. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Second takeaway this morning is we are empowered to be Jesus' ambassadors. When we come to faith in Jesus, we receive this wonderful gift of grace. But we also receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Jesus. We are Jesus' ambassadors. He has designated each of us to go and speak with his authority. When you speak with the authority of someone, instead of the idea of someone, when you understand that you're backed, that you are secure in the the arms of Jesus, there's a confidence that you don't have to feel like you're out on the ocean all alone. Third, this is John 14. 12 through 14 says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. By the way, if you believe in Jesus, he just said, whoever believes in me will do the works of things I've been doing. You should expect to see miracles in your life. Jason, that's crazy. Yep. And they, here, and they will do even greater things than these. Jesus expected that we would do greater things than he did. Now that's faith.
Jesus has power over nature, and he's designed the situation to be that you have hold the power over nature. Power is a funny word. People fight over power. That's our last takeaway. Jesus' power is evidenced when we choose to be servants. See, Jesus didn't want to accumulate power. Mark 10, 45 says, Jesus came, for the Son of Man didn't, Jesus is his words, he's saying this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The power of God, of Jesus over nature that's put in us, is put in us so that we would be servants of other people. Watch his miracles. Think through. Go through the process of Jesus' miracles and try to name the one that was for him. He's always doing something for the betterment of somebody else. And he expects us to do the same. And when we have a servant's heart, when we come to a place where we put others over ourselves, when we come to accept the rule of the kingdom, that in the kingdom to find one's life is to lose it, and we start to serve others, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power over nature blossoms. And miraculous things can happen. i got to be honest, sometimes I want the miraculous things to happen for me. And I know some of you are in a place right now in your life where you're like, that's all well and good, but I got to have the power of nature for me right now. This morning, I was at Bagelsmith. And I walked out of Bagelsmith and my tire was flat. Like, flat. Like, how did you drive to Bagelsmith on that tire and not know it was flat? And I want to be able to have the power over nature to say, inflate. But that's not what it's about. Sometimes we want it to be about. Sometimes, I I use a silly illustration. Some of you are going through the thick of it. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit to come and rearrange your nature. I get it. But you want to be great in God's kingdom, serve. You want to see the power of God unveiled in your life, serve. You want to maximize the power that Jesus has over nature, start looking at other people's lives and finding a way that you could be a miracle to them. And who knows what God will do through that. But when you open the door to that possibility, great things can happen. And Jesus' power becomes manifested through you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for how much you love us. You love us so much that you empowered us to be like you. God, first, we got to pray for the faith to believe that the things that you did, we could do. Or at least we could see. I pray for the people in this room this morning. 
who are in need of a miracle. God, there are people in our church who need a miracle, who need to see the power of the Holy Spirit displayed in their life. Help us to have the faith to believe that you could do it. And I pray that you would manifest yourself in miraculous ways in our church. And that it would be evidence of your authority and that people would come to Christ because of it. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close as we off, as we usually do with communion. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. And uh, If you're new with us, what, this is something we do at the end of each service. And we invite you to come down the, the center aisle that is closer to you um, and receive the elements from our elders. And then return to your seat and we'll share communion together. But I'm going to invite you to stand and come forward. And... Thank you, Jesus. We started our service reading Psalm 116. Teresa read that the Lord is gracious and righteous, and our God is full of compassion. We come to the table this morning, and we are here to honor and remember Jesus and his power and his love, but mostly his love for us. Because the God who has all power, all authority in heaven and earth, is full of compassion. And he saw us in our weakness, and he came, and he allowed his life and his body to be broken for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and your compassion 
and your love. That you are great. Thank you that you are gracious and the righteous. And I thank you that you have empowered us to live the life that you evidenced as possible. Be honored by us, Lord. Would you take the bread? I told you, some of you want to rise for the, the cup. That's certainly welcome to do that. You don't have to. You don't have to. Sometimes when I come to the cup, it reminds me of my maybe my one of my favorite theological study nerd geeky words. Covenant. Jesus said that this cup was the new covenant between God and man. The new contract. The new way of living. No longer was it uh, reactionary. But God proactively, through the work of Jesus, sealed our relationship. If you're here this morning, there's nothing you need to do to make God love you. And there's nothing you could have done that overcomes his love for you. Would you pray with me, Jesus? Thank you for the new covenant that comes with your blood. For the relationship, the grace, the righteousness, and the compassion. Lord, I pray that your power would be revealed in us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, for those of you who aren't, as as I offer today's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And may the power that created the world, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that dwells in us,